It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to U.S. Defense Watch Radio on the front lines of truth and liberty. This is Ray Starman, your host on U.S. Defense Watch Radio, broadcasting from sunny Southern California on this Memorial Day 2018. And the subject, of course, today on Memorial Day is, they gave all that mortality can give, remembering the fallen on Memorial Day. And I'd like to talk about the next hour, a little bit about the history of Memorial Day, uh, the number of Americans who have died in all our wars. It was about 1.3 million, actually. And that we can never repay them, but we can remember them every Memorial Day. And why Memorial Day is perhaps the most American of all holidays, and perhaps a a holiday that needs to be taken a little bit more seriously by your average American right now who is downing a six-pack of beer. And let's talk a little bit about the history of Memorial Day. Uh, It was originally called Decoration Day which comes from the early tradition of decorating graves with uh, flowers, wreaths, and flags. And Memorial Day is a day of remembrance, really, for all, for those who have died in service to our country. Widely observed, first time on May 30th, 1868, to commemorate the sacrifices of Civil War soldiers on both sides by a proclamation of General John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic, 
which was an organization of former Union sailors and soldiers, and actually evolved the Grand Army of the Republic. I don't know if most of you know that became the present day American Legion. During that first national commemoration in 1868, uh, former Union general, sitting Ohio Congressman James Garfield, who became President Garfield one day, uh, made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery, after which 5,000 participants helped to decorate the graves of more than 20,000 Union and Confederate soldiers who were buried there. General, Gar- or General Garfield, soon to be President Garfield's words, We do not know one promise these men made, one pledge they gave, one word they spoke. But we do know they summed up and perfected by one supreme act, the highest virtues of men and citizens. For love of country, they accepted death and thus resolved all doubts and made immortal their patriotism and their virtue. And so if we can move back a couple years before that, At the end of the Civil War in 1865, what you had going on in in several southern towns, uh, wives, sweethearts, sisters, mothers, etc., of southern soldiers that had passed away in in the war began to decorate the graves of these fallen soldiers. And soon they began to decorate also the graves of northern soldiers who were buried there. And that inspired... The, actually the first ceremony in 1868, three years later. In 1873, New York was the first state to designate Memorial Day as a legal holiday. By the late 1800s, there were more cities and communities observed Memorial Day, and several states had declared it a legal holiday. After World War I, it became an occasion to honor those who had died in all of America's wars and was then more widely established as a national holiday throughout the United States. In 1971, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, Holiday Act, and established that Memorial Day was to be commemorated on the last Monday of May. Several southern states, however, officially commemorated an additional separate day for honoring the Confederate war dead, sometimes referred to as Confederate Memorial Day. Of course, Memorial Day, as we all know, is commemorated at Arlington National Cemetery each year with a ceremony in which a small American flag is placed on each grave. The President of the United States or the Vice President will lay a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And so it continues every year Memorial Day. We'll come back on on the U.S. Defense Watch radio. We'll talk a little bit about the numbers of casualties in the different wars that America has waged from the American Revolution all the way to the present war going on still in Afghanistan. We'll be right back on U.S. Defense Watch radio on Memorial Day 2018. A little music once again. From the great John Williams, an even greater film, Saving Private Ryan.
if uh, I don't know if I know any other music really that says Memorial Day than uh, that music from Saving Private Ryan, which is part of the uh, soundtrack. And that uh, bit of music is actually a 10 minute cut almost. I can play the whole thing. But it's, that one is titled Omaha Beach. And uh, what a great soundtrack. Really, if that music doesn't uh, typify what happened there in Normandy and Fallen in All Wars, I don't know what music does. We've got some great music today lined up for you on U.S. Defense Watch Radio, in addition to some more action-packed, hard-hitting, politically correct information. Let's talk a little bit about the... Uh, the amount of military casualties and the fallen in some of America's major wars, starting with the American revolution, actually 25,000 Americans died in the American revolution, 8,000 combat deaths, 17,000 died from illnesses. And during the American revolution, there were actually 25,000 wounded as well. A total of 50,000 casualties. In the War of 1812, 2,260 Americans died. Another 12,740 died of, of various illnesses. Total 15,000 dead Americans in the War of 1812 and another 4,500 wounded. In the Mexican-American War, 1,733 Americans died in battle, 11,550 from uh, illnesses, total of 13,283 Americans dead in the Mexican-American War, another 4,152 wounded. And we move on to the Civil War. Actually, America's greatest amount of casualties from the Civil War. A total of 655,000 Americans from both sides died in that war. Uh, a total of 140,414 Union Army soldiers died in combat. 74,524 Confederate soldiers died. In the Union Army, 224,097 Americans died of illnesses. In the, Southern, in the uh, Confederate Army, 225,000 roughly from illnesses. Incredible amount of casualties, 655,000 dead from both sides, and now an additional 281,881 wounded. Over a million casualties in the American Civil War, which is still steeped in the consciousness of many Americans. Spanish-American War, 385 Americans died, another 2,060 from the various illnesses. 2,400 Americans dead in the Spanish-American War, another 1,622 wounded. We move on to World War I. America's involvement in World War I was, was limited compared to what the other allies had gone through. Uh, the British and the French had suffered millions dead. The Germans, too. The Germans certainly were not allies in World War I. We sort of came at the end when the Allies and the Germans had pretty much exhausted each other, beat the hell out of each other for for four years, nearly. We came in and just sort of turned the tide. Yet 53,000 Americans died in World War One. Another 63,000 from various illnesses. 
116,516 Americans died in World War I, and another 204,000 were wounded. In World War II, 291,557 Americans died in combat. Another 113,842 various illnesses. It's a total of 405,399 Americans dead. Another 670,000 wounded in World War II. Korea. The Korean War, often called the Forgotten War, 33,600 Americans died in combat. Korean War, 92,000 Americans were wounded. In Vietnam, 47,000 Americans died in combat. Another 10,000 non-combat-related deaths. total of 58,000 Americans died in the Vietnam War. Another 153,000 Americans were wounded in Vietnam. And the Gulf War in 1991, 149 Americans died. 104, another 145 various uh, non-combat deaths. About 300 Americans died in the Gulf War. Another 849 wounded. In the Iraq War, 1,836 Americans died in combat, another 961 non-combat deaths. Total of 4,497 Americans died in the Iraq War, another 32,000 wounded. In Afghanistan, 1,833 Americans have died, 383 from non-combat deaths. 2,200 Americans have died in Afghanistan, and another 20,000 have been wounded. Total American deaths in war, ranging from the American Revolution to obviously uh, through Afghanistan. I haven't mentioned some of the smaller deployments. Total of 1,354,664 Americans have died in our wars. In addition, 1,498,240 Americans have been wounded. When I come back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio, we'll talk about what does the public uh, what does the public think about all this, and then after that, we'll talk a little bit about uh, remembering uh, several people I knew that uh, are no longer with us that died in combat fighting for their country. Come back on Memorial Day 2018, the U.S. Defense Watch Radio on the front lines of truth and liberty. Here's a soundtrack from Ted Turner's Civil War classic, Gettysburg.
first the Battle of Gettysburg, June 30th, July 1st, 2nd, the 3rd, 1863, where over 50,000 Americans were killed in action on both sides. Think about that. 50,000 Americans. Now let's talk about the, uh, how does the American public view Memorial Day? I mean, in my opinion, obviously, Memorial Day seems to me where veterans certainly are remembering Memorial Day in their own way, their own individual way for each person. Um, and some civilians, or people that never served, uh, who had family that served, uh, do remember Memorial Day solemnly. Memorial Day is not a fun day. This is not the 4th of July. It's not a celebration. I wonder if sometimes people say, Happy Memorial Day. Well, I guess every day that you're alive is a happy day, but uh, it's not, it's not, it's not a fun day. I mean, obviously it's evolved into that. You know, there's the, uh, the Memorial Day mattress sales, the Memorial Day car sales, refrigerator sales, appliance sales, everything. Come on down and get that Memorial Day special. I, I remember uh, last year I was in a, a grocery store here in Southern California and, uh, it was just mayhem. It was the morning of Memorial Day. And I was standing in an aisle. I had my one of my military Gary Owen seventh cab caps on. And there was a guy had I had a you know World War II age with a World War II vet eighth Air Force cap on. <clears throat> Somehow we just sort of gravitated towards each other. And we were standing next to each other in this aisle, watching just chaos ensue in the grocery stores. People we're piling beer and booze and steaks and, you know, whatever into their shopping carts, almost completely oblivious of, of what this day means. And uh, this uh, older gentleman looked at me and he said, they'll never understand. They'll never understand what this is all about. And I, you know, responded, Similar, uh, with a similar comment, they, they just don't. They just don't get it. And that man and I, probably at least forty years older than me, we had more in common with each other at that moment than we did with anybody else in the store at that time. Unless, of course, there was some other vet um, on the other side of the store that we didn't see. And. As I continue to make my way through this just just this chaos, in maniacal shoppers, I uh, you know I reached the checkout aisle, and as I was talking to the cashier, she told me excitedly that she had the rest of Memorial Day off in about an hour, and she couldn't wait to party. You know, and I just you know didn't say anything obviously, uh, and that seems to be the attitude of most Americans on Memorial Day. It's just a big party. It's a barbecue. It's the first day of summer. It's a four-day boating extravaganza. You know, it's a it's a it's a weekend where you fill up your shopping cart with steaks, chicken, teriyaki sauce, 12 packs, 24 packs, cases, kegs. You know, I don't, I don't, I just think that, you know, what did Jesus say when he was on the cross? He said, forgive me or forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And I, I think that 
It's kind of true. I mean, it's just complete ignorance. You know, and then on the other side, the juxtaposition, you have veterans walking around, you know, veterans of Vietnam, okay, the Gulf War and uh, Iraq War, Afghanistan, Korea, some of the World War II guys still around. And, you know, you have to wonder what they're thinking. Probably the same thing I'm thinking. And it's just you've got the point now in America where the majority of the population has never served in the military. People in the military are like people from outer space to them. You know, all they'll tell you, oh, thank you for your service. We support the troops. And their idea of patriotism is standing up for the national anthem at an NFL game with a bucket of wings. That's their contribution to the country. That's how they think that they're being patriotic and serving their country. Not saying that everybody has to serve. We don't need a uh, 20 million man standing army. But there is a lot of ignorance out there. And And I think that they have no idea how their actions affect veterans, uh, from any all conflicts, or even veterans that never served or have served in a war, but served, you know, they did. They just, they just we just look on and just shake our heads. And I remember uh, this has got to be back in a 1990. It was Memorial Day. I was at the uh, we were at Graf. People haven't been in the army. Graf was the Graf and Beer training area built by Hitler, of course, taken over by. The lean green machine, the U.S. Army after World War II, it, you know, it was um, it's a gunnery, a gunnery ranges where units go to qualify, practice, shoot, and scoot for a couple weeks at a time in Bavaria. So it's Memorial Day, 1990. I'm at Graf I get to a, a cab. They have cabs around there. You want to just go from one end of the post to another or whatever. I was doing my wash or something. And the German cab driver is in his 60s, and he's got a couple poppies on his steering wheel. So I said to him, I said, you know, that's an American holiday, sir. Uh, you're, you're commemorating our holiday. And he looked back at me and said in English, hyphenated German, well, we are all comrades. And he proceeded to tell me that he had been in the U-boats in World War II, certainly a brave guy. And a lucky guy since three quarters of those U-boat crews never made it back. At that moment, once again, there's a guy who would probably have been trying to blow my head off 45 years before. He and I had more in common on that day than I do, or most veterans do, with the great gluttonous mass of Americans that run around the whole weekend with seemingly zero regard for the people that gave their lives for this country. That's the true sadness of Memorial Day is that the people, the guys who died, the women who died, I don't know the exact number of women that died in American wars. It might be about 500, maybe up to 1,000, maybe a little bit more. If you know, send me an email, usdefensewatch at gmail.com. I know a couple hundred women died in Iraq. These people, they never had the chance to stand in the booze aisle and decide whether to buy a case of Budweiser or Corona. 
They never had a chance to return home and have a cheeseburger. They never had a chance to fulfill their individual dreams. They never had another chance to, quote, party like the cashier. And it's really up to the veterans now or some, some that small minority of civilians that had family members that were in the military that do understand that just for some reason or that didn't serve themselves, it's fine, to impart to the rest of the public the meaning of this day, that it's not about uh, your, your gas grill that you're firing up. It's about something much, much more, much, much more. And I think General MacArthur said it best when he talked about those who have given all that mortality can give. And for many, to the judgment seat of God, I do not know the dignity of their birth. But I do know the glory of their death. They died unquestioning, uncomplaining, with faith in their hearts and on their lips, the hope that we would go on to victory. Always for them, duty, honor, country. Always their blood and sweat and tears as we sought the way and the light and the truth. And 20 years. I don't think anybody could uh, say that more, of course, or say it better than General MacArthur. Of course, that's from his speech, 38-minute um, speech, I believe, uh, to the cadets at West Point in 1962. Of course, that's available online. All I have to do search on Google, General MacArthur's speech at West Point. If you want to hear the whole thing, and if you had never heard it, check it out. We've got about a half an hour. It is one of the greatest speeches of all time. And when we come back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio on this Memorial Day 2018 show, once more a low-key show than my usual haranguing about all the different problems going on in the U.S. military, I'll be back with that in a few days, believe me. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the people that I know personally that uh, have given all that mortality can give for the United States of America. We'll be right back. On U.S. Defense Watch Radio, this is Ray Starman on the front lines of truth and liberty.
You're back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. We've got about 30 minutes left on Memorial Day 2018. And that was, of course, from the Band of Brothers soundtrack, the Band of Brothers, I believe was made in 2001, probably what I consider the finest bit of TV that has ever been made. Even better than the Pacific, which I, I did like. The Band of Brothers was just exceptional. And that soundtrack, from the whole soundtrack, that three-minute cut I played about a minute of. It's called Requiem from the Band of Brothers soundtrack. Just as great as the Saving Private Ryan soundtrack. And I'd like to spend the rest of the show talking about some people that I know personally that died in the Persian Gulf War in 1991 and in Iraq during the Iraq War Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2006. I wanted to talk about uh, three people that were in my unit, the 4th Squadron, 7th Cavalry: Sergeant Kenneth Gentry, Sergeant Edwin Cutts, and Private First Class Charles Walker, who died in 1991 in what has largely been sort of the modern-day forgotten war, the Gulf War. I was con- kind of compare the Gulf War to the Spanish-American War in 1898. Both wars were at the end of their centuries. Spanish-American War, obviously, at the end of the 19th century, and the Gulf War at the end of the 20th century, where superbly motivated U.S. military force laid waste to sort of corrupt army being led by dictators. And we returned as heroes. In our wars, both the Spanish-American War and the Gulf War were quickly superseded by much larger, longer wars. Spanish-American War was superseded, obviously, 20 years later by World War I. And that basically wiped out much of what the public remembered from Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders on San Juan Hill during the Spanish-American War. We had the Iraq War and Afghanistan, both kicked off Afghanistan in 2002 and Iraq in 2003. Afghanistan is still going on. The Iraq War lasted to 2012. Much larger, longer, I don't know if larger, but just longer wars, sort of lethal wars in in many respects. And that pretty much erased anything that had happened in the Gulf War, which really was the triumph of the U.S. military, erasing the ghosts of Vietnam, vanquishing them, along with our enemies. Let's talk about... uh, Sergeant Gentry and Cutts and PFC Walker. And they represented, and I, and I think before I continue talking about them, the people I'm going to talk about today, of course, I knew them. That's why I'm, of course, talking about them. But they, they are representative of all Americans who passed away, died, killed in action in our wars. Of course, I'm talking about them, like I said, because I knew them, and it's easy to talk about them or serve with them. And for there's 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 hundreds of thousands of Sergeant Gentrys, Sergeant Cutses, and PFC Walkers, accomplished perhaps even greater feats of valor, or just as dedicated, and hardworking, patriotic, and selfless, selfless. And uh, Gentry, Cuts, and Walker like all the Americans who have served, continued to serve, and gave their lives, they represented the best of America 
patriotic, hardworking, heroic, willing to risk their lives to protect their nation. What is more selfless than that? Private First Class Charles Walker, sometimes referred to as Scott Walker, grew up in Jonesboro, Georgia. Like many teens in the 1980s, he was motivated by an inspirational president, Ronald Reagan, who was intent on rebuilding not only America, but our military. Like uh, many kids growing up in the South, Walker had heard stories of his family that served in previous wars, and he too wanted to do something different for a few years. Most of the people that join the military aren't doing it as a career. They just want to do it to serve their country, maybe because other people have in their family, maybe because they think it's going to be an adventure. Maybe they like history. Maybe they want to be part of history. Maybe they want to get the GI Bill to go on to college later on. And Walker was a cavalry scout or an army parlance called a 19 Delta. He was assigned a Bravo troop or Blackfoot troop of the fourth squadron in the famous and infamous 7th Cavalry of Custer, Pancho Villa, returning with MacArthur, Korean War, and Yidring Fa'eli, infamy. Like many of his comrades at the time, Walker thought his unit would never deploy anywhere farther than Graf or Hohenfels in northern Bavaria, Germany. But in December of 1990, 4-7 Cav and the rest of Elements of 5th Corps and 7th Corps in Europe got their orders to deploy to Saudi Arabia. As part of the Goliath, 250,000-man combined 7th Corps, Dick Cheney, Colin Powell, and Norman Schwarzkopf would one day use to crush Saddam's elite Republican Guard and win the Persian Gulf War. But that was only months away. Flash forward to February 1st, 1991. Scott Walker, Charles Walker, was on a, a reconnaissance to the Iraqi border with his unit when he was shot in the heart. Uh, medics worked on him frantically, giving him CPR, trying to save his life, trying to bring him back until a medevac uh, helicopter arrived. A short time later, while flying over the vast Saudi Arabian Adana desert, sweeps across northern Saudi Arabia, Private First Class Charles Walker died. He was 19 years old. And three weeks later, Charles Walker's unit, the 4th Squadron, 7th Cavalry, would suffer more casualties. The February 26, 1991 was really the culminating day of the Persian Gulf War. It was on this gray, blustery, drizzling, sandstorm-filled 24 hours that the U.S. 7th Corps put the hammer down, finally on the Republican Guard. And leading the charge, of course, for the vaunted 3rd Armored Division of World War II fame was the 4th Squadron 7th Cavalry, which on the afternoon of February 26 was guarding the right or southern flank of the mighty Spearhead Division, and also attempting and trying through the bad weather, the sandstorm, the low visibility, to main contact with the U.S. 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment, located just one kilometer to its south. At 3 p.m., with the weather worsening, all division air assets were grounded, meaning the 7th Cavalry, was minus any heavy armor, would be moving nearly blind towards what was an eventual showdown with the Iraqi Tawakana Division of the Republican Guard. And that showdown soon arrived. Minutes later, and close enough for the 7th Cav to spit at through 
sandstorm visibility down to less than 300 yards. The 2nd Squadron, 2nd Cavalry, in which H.R. McMaster commanded Echo Troop, Eagle Troop, excuse me, was in contact with the Tawakana in what history would soon dub the Battle of 7-3 Easting. 7-3 Easting was the kickoff to a 12-hour, 50-mile-long battle between the U.S. 7th Corps, the Iraqi Republican Guard, and the regular Iraqi Army. About 3.30 p.m., Sergeant Ronald Jones from Alpha Troop 47 Cav reported that he had cr- saw crunchies up front, meaning dismounted infantry manning machine guns and carrying SAGR missiles and RPGs. And soon BMP-2 armored personnel carriers and T-72 tanks were spotted. And stumbling through the blinding Shamal, the 47 Cav had found the 9th Armored Brigade of the Tawakana, or in actuality, the Tawakana had found them. Once again, in yet another piece of historical irony, the 7th Cavalry had found itself caught in an ambush. For the next 90 minutes, the 7th Cavalry was outnumbered and alone, fighting in what historians now call the Battle of Phase Line Bullet. During the fighting, Sergeant Kenneth Gentry, who was from Ringold, Virginia, was riding in Bradley Cavalry Fighting Vehicle Alpha 2-4. He was mortally wounded by friendly fire. When a U.S. M1A1 tank moving towards the fighting from behind mistakenly identified Gentry's Bradley as an enemy vehicle, probably a BMP they thought it was. Sergeant Gentry was fatally wounded in the upper thighs. Behind Sergeant Gentry's vehicle, not too far away, was Command Sergeant Major Ronald Sneed. He ordered his Bradley forward and while under heavy fire, carried a seriously wounded Sergeant First Class Raymond Egan. His other people had been wounded in this, Bradley as well. And the dying Sergeant Gentry to his vehicle. Ronald Sneed was a living legend. A man who had served five tours in Vietnam with the 173rd Airborne Brigade. On the squadron radio net, Sneed reported, I'm with one, they're working on him now. After a momentary pause of maybe 30 seconds to a minute, where strangely the normally active squadron radio net just seemed to have died, waiting perhaps for news from Sneed, he was soon back on the on the radio. All he said were two words: "He's gone." Only two hours before, Gentry had passed Sneed a mouthful of coffee grounds to wake him up. Keep him going, smiling, giving him a friendly wave as he sped by in his Bradley to an unknown fate. And highly decorated from the Vietnam War, Ronald Sneed had seen more combat than most men in the U.S. Army in any war. Yet months and years after Sergeant Gentry's death, Ronald Sneed could barely say the word Sergeant Gentry without breaking down in tears. As the battle continued, another Bradley was hit mortally, Alpha 2-2, and it was hit by another American tank, friendly fire, either from the 1st Brigade of the 3rd Armored Division or from 2nd ACR. Sergeant Edwin Cutts of Cuttstown, Pennsylvania was killed instantly. Sergeant Cutts was a superb soldier. He was a highly competent non-commissioned officer. 
very, very good Calvary scout who usually had the highest score during gunnery rotations at Graffenbeer. Cuts was the kind of soldier who would have become a sergeant major someday had he lived and had his life not been cut short at a nameless speck of desert. As night fell and the 3rd Armored Division's heavy armor took over the fight, the 7th Cavalry took stock of its losses in a war the public believed was nothing more than an antiseptic video game. Two men were dead, another 12 seriously wounded by a combined enemy and friendly fire. Three Bradleys were completely out of commission, and every Bradley and Alpha Troop and Blackfoot Troop had been hit by direct or indirect fire in some capacity. 27 years later, here on Memorial Day 2018, one can only wonder what Charles Walker, Kenneth Gentry, and Edwin Cutts would and could have done with their lives had they not been killed in action. And that is indeed the most melancholy mystery of all. And anybody who has served in the military knows that People that have died will never be forgotten. And those who lived through these circumstances feel that they must keep their memory alive. If nobody else will remember them, we will remember them. We come back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. We'll talk about Colonel Eric Kruger, who was killed in action in Iraq in 2006. And we'll be right back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. This is Ray Starman on Memorial Day 2018. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA We're back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio on Memorial Day 2018. This is Ray Starman, the editor of usdefensewatch.com and the host of U.S. Defense Watch Radio. I'd like to, uh, before I talk about uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kruger, mention a chief warrant officer to Hans Gukheisen. Hans was in Blackfoot Troop with Charles Walker during the Gulf War, and Hans uh, was killed in action during the Iraq War in, I believe, 2003, trying to save somebody's life 
uh, he was a medevac pilot and um, came down to pick up some wounded and he never made it back uh, alive. And he had uh, he served as an enlisted man during the Gulf War and later became a warrant officer and a medevac pilot. I have forgot to mention him as well. Chief Warrant Officer 2, Hans Gutheisen. Let's talk about Lieutenant Colonel Eric Kruger. Kruger was a fellow classmate of mine at SMU Southern Methodist University in ROTUC with me. And Eric Kruger was killed in action in Iraq on November 2nd, 2006. On his third military tour of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan combined, he died as a result of injuries caused by the detonation, excuse me, of an of an IED or an improvised explosive device near his vehicle. Kruger was a graduate of the Army's elite Ranger School, he served at the Pentagon in Korea, Special Forces in Afghanistan. He volunteered to go to Iraq again. Served as the deputy commander of the 2nd Brigade Combat Team, 2nd Infantry Division, stationed from Fort Carson, Colorado, where Kruger had started his career as a 2nd Lieutenant back in the late 80s. Back in 1985, Kruger was just a 19-year-old kid who, like me, had just joined Army ROTC at SMU. We're both excited ROTC had come back after a 15-year hiatus. Well, I wanted to go into military intelligence. Kruger ate, breathed, slept infantry 24-7, 365 days a year. <clears throat> Excuse me. At 19, Kruger was already a lifer. When Kruger and I were at SMU, the student population hovered around 10,000, you would think, in a conservative university in Texas. With a student body of 10,000 kids, you might have a sizable ROTC detachment. But it was wrong. The SMU Mustang Battalion comprised anywhere from five to a dozen cadets and one very frustrated bored Airborne Ranger, 82nd Airborne Grunt Captain Phil Migliori. The kids at SMU in the late 80s, or excuse me, the middle 80s, mid 80s, had been told by their parents to avoid the military like the bubonic plague. SMU students were there to become bankers, oil traders, CPAs, lawyers, jobs where you could earn well over six figures. The military, with its lousy pay and blue-collar reputation, wasn't even an option for the little J.R. Ewings of the era. The response from most SMU people when Kruger and I told them we wanted to be Army officers was, are you out of your mind? And this is a subject for a completely different show, but the attitude of the SMU kids at the time was the same as it is today among America's wealthy. The upper class in America is AWOL from the U.S. military, for the most part. Back in 1985, ROTC was divided into lectures. One day where we learned about topics like military law and the organization of rifle company. Sometimes we let Captain Miglory let us watch one of those 80s cheesy action movies like Red Dawn or one of Chuck Norris's missing in action flicks. ROTC labs, quote, labs, were outdoor events where we would practice land navigation and local forest preserves, repel from the top of the SMU six-story parking garage, which usually attracted quite a crowd, particularly females who wanted to learn the ropes, no pun intended. For a brief shining moment, ROTC seemed cool. 
but participated in field exercises out in Mineral Wells, rural area between Fort Worth and Abilene. Texas National Guard had a base there, and the two-day field problems were filled with wait-a-minute vines and coyotes led by a crusty old sergeant major who was a veteran of both the Korean and Vietnam Wars. It's no surprise that only four cadets from SMU ROTC were commissioned officers. Kruger and I were two out of the four. I went MI. Intel Kruger went in the infantry. When I first learned that Kruger had been killed in 2007, my first reaction was that he went out the way he would have wanted, in combat, in a war, in the arena, where the action was, where an infantry officer, a ranger, should be. And Kruger served a total, like I said, of three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is a testament to the man's courage and dedication and love of the Army. For Kruger, going to war was his job, something for him as normal as a civilian going to their safe cubicle. If he were here today, he would knock once, come into my place, steal my last beer, and with his feet up on my coffee table, search for a war movie on cable. He would wonder what all the fuss was about. He would think he was a hero. Yet he was. He would think he was just a regular guy doing his duty. And today at SMU, a memorial to Kruger glistens gently in the midday sun. Surrounded by flowers and foliage. And actually not only maybe 100 yards from the George Bush Presidential Library. Kruger's memorial lies adjacent to the building on campus where we had ROTC class and dreamed of glory over 30 years ago. Lieutenant Colonel Eric Kruger survived by his wife, Sarah, and their four children. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery in Section 60, Grave 8437. He was awarded the Bronze Star and the Purple Heart for his actions during combat, like I said, during his three tours. And like I said, Eric Kruger and Kenneth Gentry and Edwin Cutts and Charles Scott Walker are just four men that represent the 1.3 million Americans that died for this country. So during their Memorial Day celebrations today, take some time to remember the ultimate sacrifices these people made for all of us for eternity. And thanks for joining me today on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. I'll be back in about a week, back to my usual repertoire of finding current problems in the military and discussing them. We're going to sign off with a little music from the king himself, Elvis Presley, who served in the 3rd Armored Division, the 1950s. Spearhead. Take it, baby. Oh, I wish I was in a land of cotton. Old times there are not forgotten. Look away. Singing fellas. Oh, I 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.